Welcome to Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store Region Street in London. Would you please welcome tonight's guest moderator from Empire Magazine, Chris Hewitt. Hello, thank you for coming out on a Monday night. Uh, Lone Survivor is a harrowing and gripping account of Operation Red Wings, which was a Navy SEALs operation in Afghanistan in 2005 that went horribly wrong and left four Navy SEALs battling against a huge Taliban force. Of the four, only Marcus Luttrell, upon whose book the film is based, made it out alive. Before we meet the film's writer and director, Peter Berg, let's take a look at the trailer. I'm Petty Officer Shane. Can he say it? Can you say it? Mr. Patton, please. Come on. Been around the world twice. Talked to everyone once. There ain't nothing I can't do. No sky too high, no sea too rough. Learned a lot of lessons in my life. Never shoot a large caliber man with a small caliber bullet. Anything in life worth doing is worth overdoing. Moderation's for cowards. I'm a lover. I'm a fighter. I'm a UDT Navy SEAL diver. Listen up. Red Wing's a go. Bad guy. Senior Taliban commander. Shaw killed 20 Marines last week. 20. Going in with a four-man team. Axelson, myself, Dietz, Marcus. Davey. That's a lot more than 10 guys. That's an army. This op is compromised. This is Spartan Zero One radio chat. Danny, you radio working? The way I see it, we got two options. One, let them go, roll the dice. Second that they run down there, we got 200 on our backs. Two, we terminate the compromise. We cannot do that. I don't care. I care about you. I care about you. I care about you. Not killing kids, not feeling it. This is not a vote. We're gonna cut them loose and we're going home. Roger that, sir. Yes. I'm fixing to get into a pretty good gunfight. There's a storm inside of us. A drive. You push yourself further than anyone could think possible. You can die for your country, I'm gonna live for mine. See? God's looking out for us. We're good, right? We're solid. You are never out of the fight. Just for one day. Please welcome the writer and director of Lone Survivor, Mr. Peter Berg. Hi, you guys. So, Peter, welcome. Welcome to London. With uh, This film is, has been a huge hit in the States. Congratulations on that, uh, first you. of all. Um, for the people who don't quite know, can you fill them in on the story, what Operation Red Wings um, was? It's, uh, it's a true story um, about a Navy SEAL operation. You guys know what Navy SEALs are? Do you ever hear Navy SEALs? Navy SEALs? Navy SEAL operation. They're kind of uh, um, the, the most elite soldiers. Um, that, that, that serve in the U.S. And it's a true story about four men that were, were dropped in northern Afghanistan 2005 to try and find a Taliban leader uh, and identify him. And uh, during the course of the operation, uh, many things went wrong and um, the soldiers found themselves in a, a very horrific gunfight. 
And when it was over, 19 uh, had died and one, Marcus Luttrell, survived. And uh, when did you first hear about this? I first heard about the book um, about five years ago. It, was, uh, it had just come out and some people turned me on to it. And Marcus had come to Los Angeles to interview filmmakers. And uh, I took a number and waited in line and, and <laughs> had an opportunity to sell, try and sell myself to him. Did you know who else was uh, Marcus was talking to at the time? Did you have an idea who you were up against to I try had and an get idea. this thing? Yeah, yeah, I did. I had an idea. Can you uh, can you say? No, I don't think that's polite. Okay. <laughs> so what did you say to Marcus to convince him? He had seen a film uh, that I'd done called The Kingdom, which uh, was about some F FBI agents going to Saudi Arabia, and there was a, a fair amount of action and violence in that, and he felt that the the action and the attention to detail was accurate and. You know, Navy SEALs are very unique individuals and have their own cultural norms that are quite you, unique and, and, and uh, not, not necessarily uh, available to the layman if they, if they want to understand them. And Marcus felt that I'd done a good job of capturing the attention to detail with these FBI agents. And I told him that I would do my best to do it in Lone Survivor. And how long was the process? Because it was something like six years, five, six years from the time you spoke to Marcus to the time you started filming? It was about four and a half years. Okay. So it was, it was a, a lengthy process. And I spent uh, about two years writing the film, did a lot of research, lived uh, with different Navy SEAL platoons, uh, went to Iraq for a month and got to embed with the SEAL platoon uh, in Iraq and uh, just wanted to make sure I understood that culture before I tried to write the film. What's that like when you say embed? What did that mean exactly? Um, well, I flew from San Diego, uh, USA, to uh, a base called Al-Assad in Iraq. Got picked up by 10 Navy SEALs and driven to this little operating base um, by the Syrian border. And you know, lived on the base and you know, spent the days with the SEALs just hanging out watching them kind of prepare for their operations. And at nights when they operate, so I got to go out and um, you know, put on a whole bulletproof vest and a helmet yeah. and uh, hope that nothing bad happened and got to watch them in action. Wow, what's that like? It's intense. You don't want them yeah. coming after you. No, I can imagine you don't. Were you at a safe distance? Presumably you were a little further back. Well, I was at a safe were. distance, but I was in Iraq, so there was no <laughs> real safe distance because you were yeah. kind of in the middle of the country. But I felt very looked after being okay. with those guys, yeah. Um, you, you took a, you, I was going to say you took a break. We didn't take a break, but um, with this movie, you, but you went off to direct Battleship. Yeah. which delayed production on this. Was the idea to film Lone Survivor before Battleship? Or? Originally, I, yeah. we were, I was going to try and make the film before, um, and then my bosses at Universal kind of asked if we'd switch the order, so I did Battleship, and um, the whole time I was doing Battleship, I knew I was going to come back to this film, so it was kind of a, I guess, like a two-picture plan. With this, Battleship, you know, The Kingdom, you're, it seems to me you're, you're drawn, um, in the rundown or Welcome to the Jungle, uh, it seems to me you're drawn to action quite a lot, but also you seem to be drawn to military action as well. Is that? I don't understand why. I mean, I, I keep telling my friends that, that my next film's going to be a love story, you know, in the south of France with <laughs> like, like a bottle of Bordeaux and some foie gras and like nice people, but That's never gonna happen, no, it, it no. always seems to go action. Yeah. Why? I, I don't know. I need to see a psychiatrist. <laughs> I don't know. But is there something about the military in particular? That, or I mean, I, I make a lot of films about sports, and I do a lot of pro programs like Friday Night Lights about um, the 
tend to, to be about sports. Um, I've, I've always been attracted to the psychology of violence and anybody who's willing to put themselves uh, in between us and in harm's way. That, that's a, a, a psychology that I always find very compelling and lends itself to movie making. Absolutely. Uh, we got a number of clips from the film. Uh, the first one shows, I guess, the build-up to Operation Red Wings and, and features uh, Eric Banner briefing his troops. If you can uh, run the clip, that'll be fantastic. Thank you. Here, we'll have 15 team guys, about a dozen Marines standing by all night. When we hear Schlitz malt liquor, we're heading back to Bagram for phase two. The movement is so we can get the 47s back here ready to bring up for phase two once you get eyes on Shaw. Oh, I'm bringing up tomorrow night's new guy presentation to 1400 today so that all yeah. may revel and partake. Better be good, Napoleon. A lot of moving parts. Indeed, and that was... Um that was uh, Ben Foster as Matt Axelson, who's one of the uh, the soldiers, uh, sorry, the, the Navy SEALs who was killed on the mountain. And was that true at the time? Did he have a uh, sort of, not a premonition, but did he have a sense of foreboding about the mission? A lot of moving parts, a lot of things can go wrong here. Yeah, I mean, this particular mission had a lot of moving parts, and, and they, they were all aware. I mean, a, a lot of the operations that the SEALs go on in uh, Afghanistan are, are very complex and do have a lot of moving parts. This certainly was one of them. It's interesting to me that you've chosen to make a film about um, what is, in essence, a defeat for Navy SEALs, in a way. The, the, the mission wasn't a success. People died on that mountain. But did you, did you see a glorious nature to that defeat, the, the sense of heroism and survival from, the, from all four of the, of the guys? I mean, there are many elements of this film that I found I found very compelling. Um, you know, one one is how they handled being compromised by goat herders. They were they were found while they were up there by two young kids and an old man, and they knew if they let those kids go, there was a good chance they were going to be killed. They knew there was a Taliban army right quarter of a mile away, and they knew these kids were part of that that village that supported the army. So they were within their rules of engagement sort of to have killed those those goat herders and they'd had a very serious debate about that and they ended up making a decision not to kill them and to let them go and that resulted in the death of 19 of them so i found that very compelling um, marcus Sattrell ended up getting saved by an afghan villager who believed in a code of honor called pashtun wali which says if if i find you and you need help and i give you help you're part of my village and part of my family and i will defend you with my life and this incredible friendship between a, a big, tall American Navy SEAL and, and this Afghan villager was forged, and I found that very uplifting, inspirational. Um, and also the actual gunfight, and yes, the fact that these men did die. Um, I, found, I found it as a, a, as a citizen of this planet whose country has been in a war for quite a long time now. I, I kind of feel that it is in some way our responsibility to understand that these men are dying, uh, that these women are dying, and not to just ignore it and uh, to become victims of the news cycle and to look at our favorite sports story, our favorite gossip story, and then, you know, the fact that four or five soldiers were killed and give them all e equal import. I thought that this film gives people the opportunity to, regardless of how they feel about these conflicts, to, 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 acknowledge um, the intensity of the violence that occurs out there. Um, 
I guess this movie is divided people in the States. There are people who, who read it as a pro-war movie. There are people who read it, read it as an anti-war movie. Uh, what's your take on I don't know. I don't know uh, what, what pro-war is. You know, I've never heard of anyone... Well, pro-conflict, perhaps. perhaps. Yeah. Um, again, you know, my, my goal was, was to divorce politics from, from this film and not be pro or anti-war, but certainly to be pro pro uh, soldier in this case, and I have a great deal of respect for for these men who were willing to put themselves in these situations for us. It's astonishing the the, the extent of the heroism and the uh, and the bravery these guys go through. They're being yeah. shot to pieces and they're still yeah. fighting on. Um, how important was it for you and the actors to to nail that? And I guess pay tribute to that. You know, there were there were 19 soldiers who were killed uh, in this operation, and I met with all of their families, their moms, and their dads, and their their wives, and many of them had children. And you know, they made it very clear to me that they wanted this film to capture the essence of who they were and how they fought and how they died. So, it was important for us uh, to do it for the families, to do it for Marcus Luttrell, who was the one man to come off that mountain and uh, to, make, to make sure that uh, when the film ended and I had to look the, the moms of these dead soldiers in the eyes, that they would feel as though we had respected the way their sons lived. It's interesting, Marcus Luttrell was not only on set every single day, is that, is that correct? He was, there, he was yeah. there as an advisor, but he's also in the movie. Just a little bit, just yeah. A little bit. Just as a little cameo early on yeah. in the film, yeah. Okay, did he, was he a natural? Did you have to talk him into doing that? or? Well, he didn't really have to turn in like a Tom Hanks style performance. He had to say a few words, and he was, he was good. You're yeah. in it as well. Just for a second. Your trademark director cameo. A little bit. It's in there. Um, let's talk about the cast itself because it's a fantastic cast, and I guess the central quartet, uh, which is uh, Emil Hirsch and Mark Wahlberg, Taylor Kitsch, and Ben Foster. Um, was, who was the first on board? Was it Mark Wahlberg? Um, it was really Taylor Kitsch, who, who I've known forever, who. Um, I did Friday Night Lights with, and I probably gave him the book first and said, we're going to make this movie one day. And then right after that, it was Mark Wahlberg, okay. who, who I wanted to play Marcus. Okay. Did, when you gave the, uh, the book to Taylor, did you have him in, in mind for Marcus? Or no, no, for, Matt, uh, for Mike Murphy. Okay. Okay. And then um, Ben Foster comes on as well. And then I've been a big fan of Ben Foster's forever. I think he's one of the best actors working today. He's like, I think, going to be the next Daniel Day-Lewis. I really believe that about him. And... He he has a real striking resemblance to Matt Axelson with yeah, curly yeah. hair and the red hair and the, he it was a no-brainer so I, I went after him aggressively and Emil Hirsch is someone I've known for a while who again has a, a resemblance to Danny Dietz the actor that he plays yeah. the character the Navy Seal that he plays. I know you said no to Emil Hirsch about twenty-five to thirty times. Yeah, well, for this he was movie? too skinny, so he had to work out. We made we tortured him and made him work out for months and get some muscle tone and then we give him the part <laughs> and what about Ben Foster I've always got the sense from him that he's a very very committed actor mm -hmm. maybe method might be the wrong the word to use but uh, how does that fit in with the, with a, another group because I imagine the likes of Mark Wahlberg Taylor Kitsch are quite easygoing actors and then you put someone who's very intense in the middle of that how does that, how does that I mean, work out ben, ben Foster is intense but not in an obnoxious way you know he just really cares and when he's on the set, he's working, he's focused, he's constantly thinking and asking questions. And I like it, you know, because it makes everybody else kind of stay focused. Is it true that he ate dirt at one point? Yeah, he does. He would eat dirt um, after every big fall or RPG explosion that was near him. He felt that the dirt would have gotten into his system. So I had to finally, I was concerned I would have to check with the medic to find out what would happen if you ate too much dirt. 
and like <laughs> if if you would get really sick or die or anything and I was assured that the dirt he was eating wasn't going to hurt him too badly. <laughs> Excellent. And as a as an actor yourself, uh, is it easy to direct actors? Do you understand what what they're going through? Um, I mean, no two actors are the same, and you know, if if it's taught me one, you know, if acting has helped me and you know understand one universality with actors, it's that they all have their own process, and they all have to be treated with respect and listened to and heard and what works for you might not work for him um, and so it's kind of my job to figure out you know what does work for you and versus what works for him and try and give you that is that what the rehearsal period is for or do you find yourself figuring people out as you go along maybe on day seven you figure out something that you might have liked to have known on day one yeah i mean the rehearsal period definitely is good you know it's like a dating period where you can spend a lot of time with someone and hopefully you know at least get the beginning of an understanding of who they are and you know how the what their psychological makeup is and and that sort of a thing that being said when once you start shooting generally a whole a whole new animal emerges so you've got to be <laughs> you got to be ready for anything with actor okay um and uh, speaking of the central quartet our second clip now shows them all uh, enjoying each other's company before going on the mission when she gets her head into something that's it there's no stopping her, man. She's going all out. He's afraid of losing control over his castle. He's having control issues because he's the one who's always made the taste decisions in the family, right? No, she's got great taste. I, I trust her. Well, what is she like? New grass leads to new bushes by the windows. Leads to new curtains. Leads to new sofa. Leads to new carpet. Leads to new floor. New baby. Dude, she's pregnant? How far along is she? You know if it's a boy or a girl? No, she's not pregnant. She's just on a weird journey moving through the house. One room to the next. Sounds expensive. It sounds pregnant. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, how did you get that chemistry? How did, did the guys go off? Because you hear a lot of actors on movies like this will go and do three, four weeks of boot camp. Was that the case? With yeah, we did a, about a month and a half of a, a boot camp that Marcus Luttrell supervised um, with four other Navy SEALs. And these guys spent that month and a half living together and training with the SEALs and learning how to use the weapons and learning how to communicate and move and operate the way SEALs do. And by the time that was over, they had a, a really good, solid chemistry. Okay. And um, you mentioned earlier on that you, where you shot uh, iPads and iPhones didn't quite get signal. Uh, where did you shoot the film? In New Mexico, Albuquerque <laughs> and uh, Santa Fe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it was high, it was high uh, at altitude, so it was like 10,000 feet. So wow. where we were, there were no cell phones. Okay. Was this like a, 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 an arduous scout around the world looking for a location? And then suddenly, oh, actually, we can just stay here. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I went to India. I went to Colorado. I went up to Alaska. And we found what, you know, 45-minute flight of Los Angeles, a great location. <laughs> uh, Not bad. And how intense was the shoot? How, long, how many days was it? It was fast. It was 42 days, which is fast for a film. Um, and, you know, we were up on the top of mountains, so we were working very hard and you wouldn't know it from these clips, but there's quite a bit of uh, violence and yeah. uh, gunplay in the movie, and and that you know at altitude was we, we had to stay pretty focused and on point. Mm. In fact, it reminded me a bit of the, of the Kingdom as well, because the Kingdom essentially at the end is a 30-minute sustained action sequence that doesn't let up, and there's an amazing building of tension in this movie, and then once that tension is released, the action just doesn't let up for yeah. about. I'd say 40 minutes or so, or is, it, is it longer? Almost an hour, yeah. Almost an hour, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and how difficult was that to shoot, given that you're, you're on a mountain, you have your actors, you can't double them as, as right. proficiently as you might normally be able to? It, w it wasn't uh, so difficult to shoot. It was very difficult to plan. You know, what, with some, something like this, you, 
you know, you're up on a mountain, you don't have a huge studio spending money on the film, so you gotta be organized, you gotta have your shit together, kind of, and we um, spent a tremendous amount of time, months, preparing how we were gonna do it, and trying to plan for contingencies, and you know, things going wrong, and we had a, a strong plan going up onto the mountain, and then we just executed the plan, and I had a great, great team, and Kevin Scott, our stunt coordinator, was just uh, awarded the stunt, the SAG award for best, uh, uh, screen actors got to work for best stunts of the year for Lone Survivor, which is a very high honor, and he deserved it. You know, the stuntmen were very focused, our crew was very focused, and we were able to execute on that mountain. Was that for one particular stunt or for everything? No, it's the whole thing. The whole thing, because yeah. there are two moments in this movie that will that, that stay with me, um, and they both involve a, a leap into the unknown. Yeah. Uh, but both times when the, uh, the, the, the guys are, are cornered and basically have two options. They stay and die, or they jump off a cliff. Yes. And both of those sequences are just, they're excruciating to watch. Yeah. Uh, for all the right reasons. Uh, can you talk about filming those? Um, well, there were, there were in, in Marcus's book, he described these cliff falls where, like you say, they knew if they stayed where they were, they were going to die. So they threw themselves off of 80 foot, not completely vertical cliffs, but close to it. And they just bounced and broke bones and bit their tongues out and cracked teeth and were horribly violent. And when I read that, it reminded me, I'm from New York and I was in Manhattan September 11th and people were jumping out of the trade towers. Yeah. And the idea that something could be so horrible, your best bet is to just jump. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I, I wasn't alone in having that feeling reading it. And we all read that and talked to Marcus and looked at photographs of the cliffs that they had jumped off of and you know, really decided we wanted to try and capture that. Um, and that was just some extraordinary work by stuntmen and Kevin Scott, the stunt coordinator. Um, and these men were very committed to just literally jumping off of cliffs. And you know, fortunately, nobody got hurt that bad. Um, we had some broken ribs. We had one punctured lung, a couple of concussions. But nobody, nobody got hurt you know, too bad. Yeah. Uh, having uh, only seen the film without recourse to being able to pause it, um, it seems to me that there are some there are some moments in the in the jumping sequences where it does seem as if the actors were doing it themselves. Yeah. How how much of well, that? they they did it, you know, and because Marcus was there, the actors wanted everybody wanted to give more as much as they could for Marcus Luttrell, and so I, my job became became kind of like being a dad or a referee, and I would tell the actors they couldn't do it, and they would sneak in when I was shooting something else. I'd get a call that Ben Foster was ready to throw himself off a cliff, and I'd run over there and drag him out. Um, and I get Ben out, and then Taylor Kitsch would go sneak in. So if you see it, they're in there, um, kind of against my, my my wishes, but they were determined, and fortunately nobody got hurt. And it, it's there are pretty intense sequences. Um, and we have uh, one last clip from the movie. Uh, this is, I guess, the pivotal scene in the film. This is where uh, the the guys have been discovered by the uh, the goat herders, as you say, and they're deciding their next course of action. Shaw killed 20 Marines last week. 20. We let him go. 20 more will die next week. 40 more the week after that. Our job is to stop Shaw. Why do these men have the right to dictate how we do our job? Rules of engagement says we cannot touch them. I understand. And I don't care. I care about you. I care about you. I care about you. I care about you. We can't do it. Look at that soldier. They are unarmed prisoners. This is not a vote. This is what we're going to do. This op is compromised. 
We're gonna cut them loose and we're gonna make this peak. When we make this peak, you're gonna get comms up. We're gonna call for extract and we're going home. Roger that, sir. Roger that. Roger. Is that scene, the movie, for you? Because that's the pivotal moment and everything hangs in that. I mean, it was certainly, you know, what hooked me into the book. I mean, the action is undeniably intense, but the idea that these four young guys in their 20s are discovered by three civilians who, although they're not armed, are, are life-threatening to them. They know the second they let them go, their position's gonna be revealed and they're gonna be in a horrible gunfight. And they had a very frank debate over what to do and that was certainly a big part of uh, what drew me to the project. It's interesting that uh, Matt Axelson in this movie, the Ben Foster character, is espousing we should we should kill these guys. We should we should do that. Which is um, not the sort of uh, thing you would if you were whitewashing, for example, uh, history or whitewashing what happened with with people in real life. Uh, it's very interesting you took that that decision. That's how it went down, you know. And and as Marcus will tell you, all of them were spinning all the options in their head. And and Matt Axelson did make a good argument for killing those kids. And there were, well, they were not kids, but young. One was a kid. One was a teenager. One was an older man. He. Matt Axelson was very, had real clarity about how this was going to play out if they let them go. Mm. Um, Luttrell made an argument as for, for not killing them. Uh, Dietz couldn't make up his mind. And finally, the decision rested with a 26-year-old you know, kid, Mike, uh, Mike Murphy, who decided to let them go and to try and beat them out. And you know, I think that probably was the... Certainly, the morally the right, correct decision, um, and it played out catastrophically for these guys. Absolutely, I, I saw an interview uh, a few years ago with Marcus Luttrell. I think it was on the, the Today Show, where he says that he every day he replays that decision, and he would do it differently. He would do the time for breaking the rules of engagement if if he could do it all over again. Have you had a conversation with him about that? I have, yeah. I think that's accurate. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much the same thing. Um, I'm also interested in the in the writing process on this movie, when you have something that's, that's so documented, um, but you also have to make a film. You also have to have something that breaks into, roughly speaking, the, th the three-act structure. Um, can you talk about any changes that you made from what happened? Yeah, I mean, for, fortunately for, for uh, me and uh, several of us involved in the, in the film, the, this, the book, Luttrell's book, was so inherently dramatic with a sequence like this, go to her to debate, him being found by an Afghan at the end in this incredible fight, you didn't have to embellish much. And I was very conscious because I had spent so much time with the families of the soldiers who were killed and with the real Navy SEALs who were still alive that knew these guys. If I had started making up you know, plot points and trying to add drama to this or, you know, like Marcus says, had him fall in love with the village elder or put these guys on wires and had them flying around, it, it would have cheapened and been so reductive to the, to the reality that mm. I was very careful about not embellishing very much at all. Mm. I didn't have to. Um, you know, if anything, uh, I condensed the timeline, particularly at the yeah. end. Latrell was in that village longer than we, in the days, film. five days, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. But... I didn't. I was very conscious about the last thing I wanted was a, the mother of a seal who had given his life for his country coming up and accusing me of turning it into a Hollywood story. Mm. So I just tried to stick to Latrell's book as much as I could. Okay. Uh, and if you have any questions for Peter now, uh, we have some microphones going around. Yes, please, right here in the front row. And here, here is the microphone. Hi, Peter. Uh, it's Peter Mar here. Uh, first of all, I love your work. I love Battleship and the. Um, 
something I can't remember now. Anyway, so I'm really looking forward to the uh, Lone Survivor. One of my friends is Neil uh, Nasi. Oh, sorry. Navi as well. I'm excited, as you can see now. Okay. <laughs> um, I just wonder, what is excites you the most about filming this movie? Um, I mean, I I'm been fascinated by the Navy SEAL community and what extraordinary men they are. Uh, so I was excited to be able to go into that community, to be able to go meet the real SEALs, go to Iraq and see how they live and operate. Um, I'm the first civilian that's ever been allowed to live with SEALs while they're on a platoon, and that was a, an amazing experience. Um, but I, I think the most satisfying part of this has been showing it to the families of the soldiers who were killed and, and you know, hugging the moms and the dads afterwards and having them tell me that, that uh, you know, thank you and that we got it right and that it gave them the chance to have closure with their children who were killed. Uh, that that's an experience I've never had before and very satisfying. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, any other questions for Peter? Yes, please. We'll just wait for the microphone. Hi, I have already saw the film because uh, I work for a movie magazine, so I have a copy. And uh, I enjoyed the fact that uh, in the first scenes uh, we saw, um, we see the, um, the real uh, pictures uh, in the bedroom of the guy. And uh, I was wondering even if uh, all uh, the story about uh, the um, wedding uh, and uh, the, the yeah. castle that we saw is something that came from uh, Marcus uh, also to use the real pictures or? Yeah, so that, 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 those stories are true. Just, uh, in the movie we use um, real, in the beginning and the end, real pictures of the, the soldiers who were killed. And in the end, all those pictures are real. And those came from the families. And, um, you know, so I was able to talk with Danny Dietz's widow. And I talked about, you know, what, what were the last things you talked about? And she said they were redoing their house. And, and she was picking a color of paint. And Danny was very obsessive about decorating the home and he was nervous that she was going to paint the house an ugly color and so that you know they he was but he he didn't want to he wanted to let her paint the house so he told her it was fine but to the other guys he was like oh my god she's going to paint the house purple and then uh, you know he was all upset about that um matt axelson is on the phone or on the computer skyping with his wife cindy that's the real transcript of the last communication they ever had she gave that to me that's what they said to each other. Also, the picture, the pictures of the wife is that's the her. same. Yeah, that's so we see. when they're dancing at the wedding at the end, that's the real Matt dancing with his his wife Cindy at the wedding, and so you know we put as much of that in the movie as we could. That's all. That's all real. Where did the research start? Obviously, there's Marcus Luttrell, there's the book, but where do you go from there? Um, I I first went to Coronado, which is the home home base for the Navy SEALs, and you know, Marcus starts the book by talking about the Navy SEAL selection process and how challenging it is. So I started with that. I observed uh, several Navy SEAL Hell Weeks, their selection process, which are just brutal. Which it's a five-day um, process where it starts with 400 men, and over the five days they get two two-hour sleep periods. And for the remaining however many hours that is in five days, they're just constantly being challenged and really, really hardcore, and they can quit anytime they want. They just have to ring a bell three times, and there's about an 85 to 90% quit ratio. So I watched a couple of those. 
not tempted to go yourself? A little bit. Like, I think there's a part of, of all of us that wants to know, you know, where your boundaries are and what you're, what you're capable of. And what's interesting is you never know um, who's going to make it and who's not. These guys aren't big, tough, muscly, macho guys. You know, they're, they're, they come in all shapes and sizes, and you never know who's, who's got the, that inner fiber, that character that just won't quit. You never know who's got that. Absolutely. Uh, any more questions for Peter? Thank you. Uh, about the cast, uh, um, every time you work with Taylor Kitsch uh, in Friday Night Lights and in Battleship uh, and uh, here, he has this kind of uh, strange leadership uh, because not here but uh, in, in Friday Night Lights and in Battleship is a bad guy because he has this temper that it can control. but. Uh, uh, everybody uh, look at him. Uh, also here, when um, a pattern that it's the last, uh, the last one that arrive, uh, um, there is the, the run in the morning and the win and the have to sh uh, decide yes. if shave. That he said uh, two times, uh, you are Mark, Mike Murphy. You have my mark. Yes. It's, uh, it's something that it's uh, inside the Taylor Kitsch that you saw, or it's, it's up and just. Uh, uh, I think I think um, it is something inside Taylor Kitsch. He is a he's a good bad boy. You know what I mean? He's he he acts tough and like kind of a troublemaker and um, disorganized and a, a bit of a screw up. But he's really very very strong. He's an incredibly loyal friend. He's a wonderful athlete. Um, he really has those qualities. He's he's shy and quiet and respectful when you first meet him but underneath very strong man uh, which is very similar to most navy seals that i've met uh both you and taylor came to this obviously from battleship um what was that experience like for you now in, in hindsight looking back at it it was it was rough you know battleship was a huge film with a lot of special effects and we were out on boats uh, in the middle of the ocean and uh we were on green screen for a long time and um you know there aspects of that film that we loved and we're very are very proud of um but i think we're both very happy to be talking about lone survivor now uh is there another uh, berg kitsch collaboration i'm sure the there will be yeah i'm sure there will be and what is next for you um right now i'm doing a new tv show called the leftovers with damon lindelof who, who created lost that we're doing for hbo and they filmed the pilot a couple of months ago and they just picked up the show so i'm going to go from here to new york and shoot another one of those and then look for the next movie. Uh, you've mentioned in the past the rundown too, or Welcome to the Jungle, as is known over here. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're writing a script now, and I I was just working with Dwayne Johnson in Miami last week, and we have an idea, so we we do want to do it. Okay. Fantastic. Wish you all the best. Thank you so and, much. Uh, Thank that, you for staying. Indeed. Guys. That's all the time we have. Thank right. you so much for coming. Thanks for your questions. Thank you to Peter Burke. Thank you. Thank you.